0: 12th chapter of Romans, beginning of verse 1. I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service In His serving, or He who teaches in His teaching, or He who exhorts in His exhortation, He who gives with liberality, He who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now some of you are crossword puzzle buffs. Somebody shared with me the other day a crossword puzzle manual got all the name, all the words in it that's ever been in a crossword puzzle. I'm sure I'm going to use that a lot, not being a crossword puzzle buff. Some of you are. And you know you can't work a crossword puzzle if you handle only one dimension. You know there's the up and down and there's the, the across, the vertical and the horizontal. And you never will get the crossword puzzle completed if you work only on one dimension. Unfortunately, there are those who, who come to the Book of Romans and they deal with only one dimension—that is, the vertical dimension—and they miss the whole story. They miss—they don't get half of the, they, they get half of the puzzle. They don't get the other half. Unfortunately, there are some people who camp out in, verses, in chapters 1 through 11 on the sovereignty of God and the sinfulness of man and the wrath of God. And they never seem to get into the matter of interpersonal relationships. They only deal with one thing, keeps them all out of balance. Fortunately, God's emphasis is on balance. Now, this book of Romans pivots on the 12th chapter. There's a pivot there, a hinge. And this hinge is held by three screws. In the first first verse of chapter 12, the first screw is consecration. In verse 2, there's transformation. In verse 3, there's evaluation. You can put those in those three little slots there and even the hinge has a balance because transformation is vertical alone it's it's man's relationship to god it's the up and down then there is this inner transformation that occurs which leads then to the horizontal evaluation that moves out beyond in the across into someone else to, to someone else and he begins this chapter with an urgent plea he says i urge you therefore it's not that, he's not saying, you know, it would be a good thing if you had some balance in your life. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that it is most urgent. That somehow you move from the theology and the doctrine, from the orthodox, you move from the vertical relationship, your, your, your relationship with God, somehow it's so urgent that you get out with that, out to those who, whose lives you touch. I urge you, therefore. Now, every time you see the word therefore, what are you supposed to ask? You're supposed to ask, what's it there for? And there are three major therefores in the book of Romans. There is the therefore of salvation in chapter 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith. And there is the therefore of security in chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And this therefore has to do with the walk. And it's so important that you see this. He said, on the basis now of what you understand about God and His love for you. And on the basis of salvation by Faith, by grace through faith, and on the basis that God has sovereignly selected you and elected you and moved to redeem you on the basis of that mercy of God, this is the way you are to live your life. This is the motivation that should motivate you to go out in, you know, to move from the center out to the circumference. Now, I want to give you a definition for consecration. Just put that under the little blank you filled out. A definition of consecration is this, reserved for God. Reserved for God. Reserved for the glory of God, for the will of God. Consecration means I'm reserving my life for God. Not, not long ago, we were going out to, with a group of people to eat in a busy restaurant. And uh, so it was suggested that we call on ahead and get reservations. So I got on the telephone and made a call and got reservation. When we got to the restaurant, it was packed. People waiting to get in. But in the center of that restaurant, among all the people, was this, this one table. It had a little paper folded up on it. It said, Reserved. 10 chairs around it, and we just walked in and sat down at the reserve table. What God is saying is that you as a believer, on the basis of the mercy of God, is to put that little sign up in your life, reserved for God. It means that I'm placing my life at God's disposal for Him to do whatever He wants to with. And it's not a level that you reach. It's not some kind of great experience that you have. If you waited on that, you'll wait forever. It's not that. It's not climbing a ladder and somehow arriving at a state or a position. It's an act of worship, he said. And in this act of worship, you bow down before God and you tell God, this is your life, this is your table, it's reserved for you. You do whatever you want to with it. He said place this life at his disposal a living sacrifice. What an interesting word. When you hear the word sacrifice, you probably think of death. This is a living sacrifice. Now the problem with a living sacrifice is that it always wants to get off the altar, you know. And a living sacrifice must be a constant sacrifice whereby a person constantly places his life at the disposal of God. That's the definition consecration. Then there's transformation. As a matter of fact, there are two words that are synonymous here. Let's get the negative part of this first. Be not conformed. So there's there's the uh, conforming. Now, a definition of being conformed is this. It's the outward expression of something that doesn't come from within. The outward expression of something that doesn't come from within. This week I went to see my daughter for a day or two up in uh, Stamford, Texas, and uh, up there they're they're showing the Goodwill Games. We're not getting them here, but they are up there on their cable system. And uh, so we, I was watching the Goodwill Games, and they had this mascot. It's the mascot of the Goodwill Games. It's kind of a, it's a guy dressed up as a lion. You know, got on a got this big huge head and this furry paws. You know, and, he, and long tail. And, and they spent about half the telecast focusing on the mascot. Now, you know and I know that, that that is not a real line. I mean, that's ludicrous to even insult your intelligence. There's somebody inside of a suit who's acting like one, trying to look like one. Now, when you wrap yourself around with the trappings or the things that belong to the world system, you're conforming. And it's kind of a reverse hypocrisy. In order to be accepted, in order to be won, in order to be liked, we wrap ourselves, you know, in order to, 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 to keep up with the Joneses, we wrap ourselves around with a system that belongs to this world. Such a pressure with regard to that in, 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 uh, in teenage years. And what Paul is saying is this he's saying, that is not your nature, that doesn't come from within. The nature of the believer is not to wrap himself around with these things that that belong to a world system. That's conforming to a world system. And then he uses the word transform. And the word transform is, the definition of that is to assume an outward expression that does come from within. Now, don't, be, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't wrap yourself up with the world system. That's not the expression of your nature. Your nature is the nature of God. Now, let this nature be expressed in the outward, external expression of itself. This is a summer for weddings. I think I have 15 weddings to perform uh, from the middle of May to the middle of September. 15 weddings. Besides all the walk-ins that we get around here. This weekend was the first weekend I've had since school was out, I didn't have a wedding. Now last Saturday night, all this stuff was moved out of here and we had this beautiful wedding. Uh, Diane Jenkins got married, many of you were here. It's one of the biggest weddings we've had in this church. They had these beautiful um, candles and gorgeous flower and had this... Unity candle over here. had all the trappings of a marriage, of a wedding, beautiful wedding. And these this couple stood before me as you know as usually is the case not not always maybe but usually as they were they you could, they were just so much in love. Now the, the the candles and the flowers and the tuxedos and the beautiful dresses and all that that's not what makes a marriage. That's the external trappings of the wedding what makes a marriage it's when this love that's on the inside is expressed on the outside it's when this feel this 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 emotion this commitment that they make to one another and, and, and you and it just you can see it expressed in their faces it's when they leave this building and they go out there and they live that out that's that's when that's the those are the ingredients of a Married, of a, of a marriage. And that's why we all, well, I always like to quote, you know, when I'm doing a wedding, 1 Corinthians 13, Love is very patient and kind, never jealous or envious, never boastful or proud, never haughty or selfish or rude. Love does not demand its own way. It's never irritable or touchy. It doesn't hold grudges and will hardly even notice when others do it wrong. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. If you love somebody, you'll be loyal to him no matter what the cost. You'll always believe in him. You'll always expect the best of him and you'll always stand your ground in defending him. Now what that says is, is that there's something that's happened to you on the inside. You're in love with somebody. And that love is patience and kindness and never jealous. And so, so transformation occurs when you stand in an altar and you make that commitment. And then you go and you live that love out in the day by day. Now what Paul is saying is this. He's saying because of the mercy of God, you have a new nature. A new mind. And this new nature is the nature that is described in the Scripture and embodied in Jesus Christ. Now you live that out. Let that come out. Don't forget the order because there is evaluation. Verse 3. Now three times he uses the word think in verse 3. Because an evaluation... It means a proper appraisal of oneself. Now, there are two things involved in a proper appraisal of oneself. Knowing yourself. Knowing yourself. And secondly, accepting yourself. Now, the problem for most of us is not the knowing of ourselves. If we don't know ourselves, somebody's, you know always uh, feels obligated to tell us what we're like, so don't worry about it. They, somebody will remind you of who you are. It's the accepting of ourselves that becomes a, a problem. Now there are two extremes, of course. One is that one thinks too highly of himself, more highly than he ought, and the other thinks more lowly than he ought. And the tendency of the self-made martyr is to feel that he's indispensable, but the other tendency, on the other extreme, is to think I'm worthless. And there's nothing any more repulsive than a guy with his hand in his pocket, you know, and feels like he's worthless. I heard about a guy who felt like he had an inferiority complex. He went to the psychiatrist, and after evaluating, the psychiatrist said, your inferiority complex is not as good as most people's. (laughs) That would be hard to take. Humility is knowing ourselves and accepting ourselves as we are. Listen carefully. It's accepting our place in God's purpose. I heard Ron Dunn say that. You've heard Adrian Rogers preach, haven't you? He sounds like God, you know, when he talks. Deep voice. Boy, I wish I could talk like that. Deep voice. And, and he didn't even have to raise his voice. He kind of, kind of, just kinda kinda kind of lets out a little more air It just boom. You know, this Beautiful voice. First time I ever heard of Aiden Rogers, I, I thought God was talking. Ron Dunn said for a long time he tried to mock Aiden Rogers and he got these little nodules on his throat trying to trying to mock him. And he said he went to the doctor and, and the doctor said and he said, Now you everybody has a normal pitch. I remember back when I was a young person growing up, they had music camp, and they had RA camp, and they had GA camp, and they had music camp. Now, music camp was co-ed. Guess which one I chose. <laughs> and and, I, and I, I, they put me in the choir, and I, always, I wanted to sing in the bass section, but they but I couldn't. My voice was real high, you know. And so it always put me over in the, in the tenor section, just insult me. And... Wishing I had a, you know, everybody has a normal pitch. And so his doctor said to Ron, he said, I hate to tell you this, but your voice is not pitched like Adrian Rogers. You might as well go ahead and and talk like you're supposed to. And he said, I hated that high-pitched tone. Now, if you know Ron Dunn, you know that he is in this tape ministry. He sends out tapes all over the world. And and, and he no longer is a pastor. He does conferences and he... He does tape ministry? The most effective thing about Ron Dunn's ministry now is his tape ministry. Now, watch this. He said about six years ago he was speaking out in California, and this guy came up after the service and said that this guy said he was a he worked in Hollywood as a communicator to help people speak and and he he records and everything. And he said, "I want to tell you, you have the very best voice for a tape ministry of anybody I've ever heard." He said, "You can." You can be anywhere in the house and hear your voice and hear every word. He said, I don't know, you know, whether you like your voice or not, but he said, let me tell you something. The very best voice possible for a tape ministry, you possess. Isn't that amazing? And Ron Dunn was saying, you know, the point of that was that for a long time, he rejected the very thing about him that God was going to use the most effectively. Isn't that amazing? And the thing that he rejected was the thing that God was putting together to to use the most effectively. Now, in evaluation, in, in ministry, so that we get beyond from the center to the circumference, a person comes to know himself and he accepts himself. Notice, he says, for everyone has been allotted a measure of faith. You need to remember that God has not, has not allotted one person with everything. That's why there can never be somebody who runs a church. Because God has not allotted everything to, to one person. You do a few, you do one thing very well and you do a few things quite well, but you can't do everything. So you get the things. You get a grip on the things that you can do, and you do those. That's the point of this. Now, he starts with a theoretical supposition in verse 4. I want you to look at that thing with me again. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There are two things about this theoretical supposition. In theory, first, there are many members, and he emphasizes variety. We don't all have the same function. There are many members of the body, many uh, organs of the body, don't have all, all have the same function. That's true in the church. Second, all the members, hear me now, All the members of the church are interrelated. Now you may not like that, but you are interrelated. We are not independent. We are interdependent, which means that we need one another. Now how about this in practice, verse 6? And since we have gifts that differ according to... To the grace given to, to us, let each exercise them accordingly. They differ. These gifts differ. And when you discover your spiritual gift, let me give you another a definition again of a spiritual gift. It's, it's that ability that God bestows on a believer to perform a function in the body of Christ with ease and pleasure. It is a God-given ability. God gives a believer to perform a function in the body of Christ with ease and pleasure. Now folks, when you discover your gift, your spiritual gift or gifts, that is the contribution you make to the body of Christ. That is the contribution you make to the body of Christ. Now the tragedy is, is that most folks in the church have the slightest clue what their spiritual gift is. And the rest of us aren't exercising it to the, to, the, to the great degree. And you know what that means? Let me tell you what it means. It means that we have to plug people into places where they're not gifted to serve. And because there are those in the body of Christ who are gifted with the gift of teaching, who are not teaching, we have to put people in that slot who don't have that gift. That's the tragedy. And this thing has to function on the basis of an interdependence. That is, in order for it to function, in order for it to work correctly, everybody has to know His spiritual gift and everybody has to exercise it. Whether it's prophecy which is a new, unique declaration of, of the gospel, or whether it's service, whatever it is. And he goes on to describe, we'll not get into that. Let's apply the message. In applying the message, where are we on this little deal here? As it pertains to you personally. Listen to, these, listen to this. Two things. Accepting yourself precedes giving yourself away. Accepting yourself precedes giving yourself. Hear me now. You cannot give yourself until you've accepted yourself. And you cannot give yourself away in ministry until you have discovered who you are and have accepted that. And remember... That what you can't do is as much a part of your uniqueness as what you can do. So that when you accept yourself, when you begin to accept yourself, then and only then can you give yourself away. I want you to turn quickly and we'll hurry to the 13th chapter of John. The 13th chapter of John. My favorite story, my favorite account of what Jesus was and what He did, begins in verse 1. Look at this. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that that His hour had come, that He should depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And during supper, the devil, having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Iscariot, the son of Simon, to to betray Him. Jesus knowing, look at this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come forth from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside His garments, taking a towel, He girded Himself about, poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now let me tell you where this ministry of foot washing began. It began when Jesus realized, when Jesus, when it said, Jesus knowing who He was and what He was about. And when a person comes to understand who he is and accepts who he is, you know the result of that is not that he begins to feel, you know, necessarily feel better about himself. He does. That's not the object. When he does that, he begins to feel the need to give himself away. It precedes that. Secondly, giving yourself means accepting the person. Now, when you're committed to ministry, you're committed to building up, not tearing down. Are you committed to that, to building up? When you're committed to ministry, you're committed to building up and not tearing down. Are you one of those people who who ask, how can I build this situation up? How can I give, contribute to this? That's how it relates to you. How does it relate to the local church? Let me suggest that when a church is healthy, healthy, there are three things present. Number 1, there is genuine spirituality. When there is a healthy church, there is genuine spirituality that springs from a God-controlled life. Now you can just we can work for weeks, trying to get the church spiritual, to think spiritually. There's genuine spirituality that flows from the God-controlled life. Second, when when a church is healthy, there is spontaneity. Now, I noticed something about these couples that I married this summer. Not a single couple has asked me to go on their honeymoon with them. I noticed that. Now, there's probably some suggestions that I could give that are, you know, good about how uh, a man and a woman are to treat one another. But for some reason, they didn't ask me for that advice or, you know, go along, and go along with us and, and, and give us all those little pointers. They didn't do that. Because they love each other, they just wanted to go and be alone. And let this spontaneous love relationship be expressed. Now, there are a lot of things that a lot of people will want you to do. And um, there are a lot of things that probably you could do you're not. And i give you a few tips on that, pointers, probably. But you know what makes a healthy church... What makes a healthy church is not when a person is manipulated to do what he is bound to do. It's when there is just this spontaneity of doing it without being regulated to do it. And third, it is sacrificial. It is sacrificial. Nobody keeps a record. It just flows naturally. And nobody has to be begged or put on guilt trips or manipulated. There are all kinds of tricks and mean methods of manipulation and we've all used them. And we've all been victims of them. And it's a sad day that we have to do that. And the reason we have to do that is because that's the only way we can get people to do it. Now, a healthy church is this church that is just spontaneously, sacrificially serving God without manipulation or begging. Or now, it's interesting that this sermon comes at a time when we're working like crazy to get people to, you know, the nominating committee and all that stuff. And uh, I'm just glad I don't have to serve on a nominating committee anymore. And I think it's a sad, sad commentary on your Christianity and mine when folks have to come and beg you, do God's work. Or I beseech you by the mercies of God. It's the mercy of God that ought to motivate you to now move from the vertical to the horizontal in service. Let's pray. Father, we pray that You'll bless this Word and that it not return without profit. For I pray in Jesus' name. And ask for His sake. Amen.